welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Mark Kruger, Group Head Chef at Mexico and Indu in the city. Mark has an extensive background in the culinary field, having worked under and alongside some of the world's most renowned chefs at several iconic restaurants and hotels. From Melbourne to the Maldives, Thailand and the Yarra Valley, Mark has continued to foster a passion for food and also for lifelong learning, with this latest role sending him on another learning curve within Mexican cuisine. I had come into Pink Alley a couple of weeks before our chat for dinner at Mexico and I really loved it. The food was fresh and tasty, I loved the margaritas, of course, the guacamole being made at the table and all the decorative skulls in the dining room. Mark had prepared super well for our chat and we didn't cover half the things he'd noted down. I think with all his experience and the different countries he's lived in, there's definitely a book in it, or even a movie. Obviously, there's the opportunity for a second conversation. We went upstairs to Indu's private dining room and the fragrance of spices as we walked up the stairs was incredible. You went to the dining room through a hallway bedecked in yellow garlands and it feels like a really special place. I was already making a mental note for a future dinner party with friends, all seated around the huge banquet table eating delicious Sri Lankan food. Will you come? Yeah, good. Nice, nice to meet you. Um, now, do you want to go upstairs? Sure. It's probably a bit quieter than okay. yeah, so. so, you've been here before? Or? Yeah, I came yeah. in for dinner. Um, uh, Mexico or Hindu? Mexico. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, it's quite interesting because we actually have two restaurants. Oh, I didn't even realise. Wow. Yeah, oh, on one kitchen, and we've got Sri Lankan Southern Indian cuisine what? here and Mexican cuisine on the other side. Wow. So, Just yeah. Tell me all about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. First of all, let's just um, we'll situate where we are in the private dining room of Mika or This is Hindu. This yeah. is Hindu, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, Hindu cuisine is, or the, the concept is um, Sri Lankan Southern Indian. Yeah. So it's quite interesting where we're at at the moment because we have Mexico, yes. one side, and that's going through uh, Little Collins Street in Galley. And then the other side is um, Little uh, Collins Street, you've got um, Hindu. Okay. So you come up a different entrance and just transports you to a totally different place. You wouldn't think you're in uh, Melbourne. No, so. that's, and you don't. And, this, and it's very multi-sensory because it smells so delicious as well, all the spices. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, just all the, um, the flavours and uh, just the profile of the food as well. So, yeah. So how does that work with the kitchen then? One kitchen, two restaurants and two different cuisines. <laughs> You've got to be quite... Um, I suppose uh, innovative in, in what you're doing as well and just um, ensuring that we're using uh, similar proteins across the both um, uh, restaurants. So in the kitchen we do have our larder section which looks after Hindu and Mexico. Okay. And then the mains comes from, one side comes from for Mexico and the other side comes from Hindu. So yeah, so it is a bit of a challenge but um, when it's really busy we'll have two people on the pass, one Hindu side and one Mexico side. 
It's incredible. What a challenge. <laughs> it is, it's unique. Um, it is unique. Because we also have the venues in Sydney as well. Okay. So you've got Mexico Sydney, but it's a total separate property. And you've got Hindu in Sydney and another restaurant called Kikoyota, which is Japanese. So, okay. yeah. Wow. You know, I always think chefs like to continue to continually give themselves challenges and it sounds like you've really stepped into that. I think that's just a, my career in general. Just yeah, so tell me about that because I saw, I looked at your LinkedIn and I see that, um, let's just say it goes back a while. It does, <laughs> yes. You've got good experience. Um, Not as young as some. Um, and you did a lot of work in hotels, so... Initially, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so basically... As a young person, um, a bit confused, I studied civil engineering for three and a half years and decided it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I felt like I needed to be more creative than just being sitting in an office doing work. So took some time off and um, ended up falling into a commercial cooks course. So that was a government funded course, did that three months full time and quite enjoyed it because I did enjoy doing a bit of cooking at home with mum. And um, all the chefs there, the teachers uh, said I should do an apprenticeship. So that was a challenge because I was 23 back then and um, most places we could take on apprentices 15, 16 years old. So I cold canvassed pretty much every place in Melbourne, hotels and stuff like that. And then um, one of my teachers at school at William Anglis basically uh, teed me up with my first job at a place called Yolens in High Street Armadale. So that was an eye opener, 18 hours a day. working from 7 till 3 in the morning. We had this beautiful grill and um, they just chipped in all the wood for it and um, had to scrub that down in the evenings. And uh, it was pretty unforgiving, the first job that I had. Um, did that for about three months and then got a call up in one of the places that I cold canvassed and that was uh, the Windsor Hotel in Melbourne. Oh, wow. And then from then on, it just, uh, my career took off, yeah. So. I also to start, but to almost start. Oh, look, it was, um, the Windsor Hotel was an amazing place, yeah. amazing experience, because that was in the day when we had the grand dining room. Wow. And that was the premier hotel dining room in Melbourne, if not Australia. So um, it was just such a, a, a beautiful place to, to dine. You know, celebrities would eat there. And, um, of course. It was just totally different structure. Um, you had the main dining room, which was um, fantastic fine dining. We had banqueting. We had the lounge next door, which did pre-theatre, post-theatre buffets. Um, yeah, so it was just good experience of every facet of cooking. So from doing catering and banquets to fine dining, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm. So, yeah. And what do you think it was that, that kept you there? I mean, you enjoy cooking with your mum and you didn't want to do civil engineering, but what, what was appealing then about cooking? Well, I think um, it was interesting when I did my commercial cooks course, I saw one of the lecturers up on stage and he was cooking and I sort of had this uh, spine tingling sensation and I was just like... It was almost like a calling. It was just, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life, basically cook. And um, even though married with kids and stuff like that, and my wife trying to push me in certain directions, I sort of saw myself cooking and maybe dropping dead over a stove one day or something like that. So yeah. I haven't lost the passion. I've been cooking for over 30 years now and still really enjoy it. So yeah, um, I've had stints of more managerial office work and, and then I've get a little bit bored doing that and then jump back into the kitchen side of things as well because it's it's always nice to be creative and cooking the food as well so Mm. and I think sometimes as managers we can be so driven with regards to financial side of things which is very important that you can sometimes get out of touch of the reality of what you need to deal with to produce the goods Mm. and get the food across 
Absolutely, I think it's probably the case in lots of um, workplaces, isn't it? You know, I'm a teacher and um, we often think that people in the senior management might not understand what it's like to be in the classroom anymore. So I think that's, um, I think it's just, that's what happens, isn't it? That you yeah. got to keep getting on the tools to, <laughs> to the reality it, of it. it. It does, it just keeps you in touch with reality and times change and, you know, being a, an apprentice 30 years ago and, and working on a salary for 18 hours a day there was no overtime or anything like that so you just had to keep on pushing to learn mm. um, and a lot of the time now kids are expected to get everything so you actually had to go out there and learn and if you were in a section you would do your section and then jump across somewhere else to learn because no one else would show you yeah. and then someone would call in sick and the chef would go oh, can you cover that section and because you knew the majority of the stuff already and they knew that mm. they could throw you across there and you could do a service successfully so yeah I am so impressed with chefs you know obviously I've spoken to a lot of chefs and, and I like cooking I just I still can't quite get my head around how how confident you are in any situation oh, I feel like in any kitchen you could just go in and you'd know exactly what to do and you're getting all these plates up at the same time and I just I find it so I still find it so impressive which is I guess is why I do this podcast because I'm so impressed um it's incredible I think it's one of those um jobs where you have to be able to multitask yeah if you can't multitask then forget being in the industry because you have to be able to focus and doing many things at the same time and especially if you're doing the dockets and cooking all the food and it's all being shouted out at you and uh you're just trying to keep focused and, and to get each dish out in mm. the best possible manner and you know, it is a challenge. It is. Absolutely. So from the Windsor, how long were you there then? I was close on three years. Yeah. So I think um, the Windsor Hotel was pretty much a breeding ground for chefs to go to the next level, which was Paul Bacuse in Dimero in Melbourne. Mm. So we, as apprentices, that's where we were aspired to go to. Mm. So I worked there very hard, um, did long shifts and um, I guess even as a second year apprentice, I worked really hard and I was running the Windsor Grill, which I don't think exists anymore, but it was the um, going down Little Collins Street, you have a little door that goes down and that was a restaurant down there as well, it was a grill restaurant. So yeah, I was doing that as a second year apprentice and having chef to parties assist me and um, finally as a third year, got into the grand dining room, which was generally You'd have to be a fourth year apprentice before you could even set foot in there because it was really hard and the food was very precise. So um, if you didn't have the skills, you wouldn't survive. Yeah. So, so I managed to do that. And then after that year, managed to get to Paul Bacuse. And the same thing, started off in the pastry, did the larder, veg section. Then you jump across to mains and the fish and then prep as well. So um, I sort of really worked hard to learn as much as possible because being older, I felt like I had a lot more to achieve and prove in such a shorter time so mm. you had all these 16 17 year olds and I'm on the same wage as them and <laughs> I was just like oh no this is hard but yeah enjoyed it and was it at that time you know the 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 old school kitchen 100 <laughs> percent. I remember <laughs> I remember thing. Windsor Hotel I was probably there one or two weeks and I won't name names about the head chef mm. or anything like that he was a great mentor but um I remember prepping oysters by the sink and you got the larder section and one of the chefs had cut some lobster with a serrated edge knife. Man, did he lose it. He was yelling and screaming, picked up the knife, threw it across the kitchen. It bounced off my leg, went into the bin and I was just like, white as, what have I done wrong? Yeah. Which was nothing. And I've just gone to myself, 
what have I got myself into? Yeah. Seriously, I've just stopped studying, doing civil engineering, and I'm getting knives thrown at me for no particular reason. Yeah. So, and not even an apology or anything like wow. that. I mean, the chef was just, he lost the plot and just walked off. And yeah, I just had to really assess a lot of things. But I tell you what, I never, um, never called chef anything but chef. Yes. So, because I, I do remember another time I was walking down, I'd just been hired and um, chef's walking up and I go, hello, Bruno. He's just looked at me and go, hey, yo. Is his chef to you? <laughs> <laughs> so I was an apprentice. I was nothing. And that's really what it was like as an apprentice back in the day. You, yes. you were nothing. Yeah. You would do all the, the crappy jobs and stuff like that. And you had to work your way up. And uh, again, I was fortunate um, that the chefs could see how much effort I'd been putting into what I was doing. And going home days off after work, after doing 18 hours and still writing all my prep lists and organising my day for the next day. And it was... Um, quite interesting I would have my prep list which is about two pages long and I would put times next to every task and allow 15 minutes 10 minutes half an hour depending on what the job was and um, I always made it a bit unrealistic so I was always behind and I would just push harder and harder and harder to get everything done and I literally remember on the larder side of things they had a cheese trolley and salad trolley salmon um, did all the afternoon teas plating up in the afternoon for the lounge and there was one entree for the larder section, that was it. There was ten entrees on the menu. By the time I had finished oh, no. on that section there, I had I think eight or nine of the entrees plus everything else. Wow. So they just threw it all my way because they knew I would actually get it all done. So um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty happy with uh, everything that I achieved. Is that tricky then um, now that you're a you know, executive chef, and um, and you've got newbies coming in. Do you expect them to be like the same as the no, the same as you? <laughs> I, look, realistically, the industry is trying to go towards that forty hours a week, yes. and I appreciate that. I mean, we've got to humanise the industry, and it is tough. And I, I, I've said to many of my peers and owners that you can't have that same expectations of what you did to have on them. It's not realistic, not in this time and this age. You need to be able to adjust mm. to move forward with the times. Otherwise, you just won't survive. I mean, it's so hard to make money in this industry. Mm. It really is. Wage cost is high, food cost is high. Um, it's a struggle. It is a struggle. It's not a place where you can easily make a killing. No. Um, back in the day, you could yeah. because people sit down, spend the money, and wages weren't high. And the only issue you really had was trying to maintain food cost. Mm. But now it's like totally different. And I guess you've got the challenge too of keeping a team and getting staff nowadays. So you probably want to, yeah. Yeah, well, it is interesting because you'll find a lot of people in the kitchen are Australian. Yes. You have a lot of international students because Australians don't want to do those hours. They know what it's like and they might do some casual shifts as a kitchen hand but to progress into a kitchen which is anti-social hours people like to go out in the evenings and that's when you're cooking predominantly um yeah there's not a lot of people that want to do that so mm. it is hard to find the right people to to do it so um and if you are an australian and i saw one of the questions was my advice for, for people yeah. in the industry is you have to be really passionate about it yeah. um, to move forward. And it's 
more than just a job. Mm. If, if you want it as a job, there are plenty out there um, that you can do, whether it's catering, production food and stuff like that. There is. Um, I guess the a la carte scene is, is a totally different kettle of fish. Does that make sense? Mm. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it, it's just so much harder you have to be really passionate dedicated and commit time outside of work um previously doing the 18 hours a day you could do your job and then see the other sections and learn um, nowadays if you're doing your 40 hour week you are just trying to keep up with the work that you need to do in that time frame and you don't see much else mm. and if you do look at the recipes that you get and, and research it a lot more and understand about it you'll actually be able to produce the food a lot quicker mm. and um, yeah that's probably the main advice is really loving what you do yeah um, I guess it uh, can be a little bit antisocial because um, I know all the friends that I had growing up in high school and stuff like that have all gone by the wayside, but you meet so many more people. Yeah, of course. Um, and it is very diverse, the community, but it's also very rewarding because there's not many jobs you can say, you've had 100 people come in to dinner <laughs> and <laughs> no. you have done an amazing service, everyone's enjoyed the food. So how many jobs can you say, yeah, I've just satisfied 100 people? That's pretty amazing. That's great, so, isn't it? So then... You working your way up through um, the ranks, I guess. So when was your first head chef job? Oh, that was, um, I suppose, a long time in the making. I um, did the Windsor Hotel. I did a couple of stints at Queenscliff Hotel. Uh, we opened up Langton's um, in the city. That was down Flinders Lane. Um, I think there's a stage in every chef's career where you get a little bit disgruntled, whether it's... Um, just with the employer's environment or whatever and you just question everything all the hard work you're doing uh, I remember being at Langton's and we were I was probably getting about two and three quarters hours sleep a night so we start early finish late um, so that was the path of that and then I was a bit disgruntled and I went overseas for three months um, my parents are German so I have a German passport was living with some relatives over there uh, a friend of mine that I worked with previously or knew uh, he's from France, so I spent some time in Brittany, and um, I came back uh, after three months holiday, feeling a bit refreshed, and um, I remember my old sous chef at the Windsor Hotel, Andrew North, he's, uh, I spoke to, I kept in touch with him quite constantly, gave him a phone call, see what he was up to, and he said, oh yeah, pop in, I'm at the Sofitel. So... I popped in and saw him and the exec chef there, Marcus Moore, um, was sitting in the office just having a, a general chat and everything like that and he's asked Andy to leave for a bit and I just ended up having a bit of a chat to Marcus and next minute he's offered me a job. So I took the role as chef de cuisine at the Sofitel looking after Café La, room service in the atrium or coming from one kitchen. And we could do numbers of like 500 people, you know, 180 in the cafe, room service, the atrium, it was like pretty full on. And during that period, Marcus had actually offered me or suggested I go overseas and work in Hong Kong, because he was from Hong Kong. Um, his English pretty much raised in Hong Kong and then had to leave, I think, Hong Kong to get an executive position in Australia before he could get back into Hong Kong as an exec chef. Anyway, he um, cemented himself in the Sofitel and then Crown, but um, he said I should go overseas and I wasn't really ready at that stage, but after two and a half years at the Sofitel, I took a role as executive chef at Maryland's Country House in Marysville, oh, okay. which was a 62 room boutique hotel. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, burnt down in the bushfires, oh, wow. um, which was 
really tragic. I was overseas at that stage, but that was my first job. And yeah. um, and did it feel like a big step up? Not really, because I knew I was ready. I didn't yeah. take the role on. I had opportunities of taking roles on it as a head chef, but or exec chef. Um, I think I, was, I always said to myself, work hard for ten years in the industry, and I wanted to take the role on when I felt I was ready, and and not just be driven by money or anything like that, and getting the first job available. So it came up. I applied for it, had the interview out there, and got the job there, and um, it was interesting because my sous chef was twenty two. He's just a kid. And I had 16 and 17 year olds, I think it was a 17 year old apprentice, 16 year old apprentice, and some kitchen hands. But we were trying to do some really good things, which we did over there as well. I think we nearly got a hat and getting at the stage of progressing to a hat when I was there. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow. So. And then, I'm, sort of, I'm really interested in how, so you've been overseas. So. Yeah, so I was at. Um, Maryland's Country House for about two and a half years and Marcus was still my old exec chef at the Sofitel, was mm. still adamant that I should work overseas. So he um, ended up giving my uh, contact details to Frank who was a headhunter and he'd called me and said if I was interested in working a job in Thailand and I said no European background, I really didn't have much focus or want to go to Asia. Uh, if anything I would have gone um, to Europe to work and I almost made that decision of working in Europe when I was there for three months. Yeah. But I came back to Australia for a friend's wedding. So anyway, um, I had about 10 phone calls from Frank and I think Marcus must have just kept on encouraging him to speak to me, speak to me. So he wore me down. <laughs> and eventually I took the interview um, with Frank, who was the resort manager at uh, Six Senses Hideaway in, uh, in, in Thailand. And um, yeah, they said, oh, look, we're really, really interested. We'd like to fly you out. So I thought to myself, oh, look, you know, I'll go for a flight out there, have a three, four-day break, enjoy <laughs> Thailand, say no to the job, and then come back home to Australia. Yeah. So I probably wasn't really serious about the task at hand. And... Um, I remember the race to get there. I told my boss that I'd just taken a few days off. It was a Saturday night. We just finished service. And then there ended up being a kitchen front of house issue. And he's like chatting to me away about what we needed to do to sort it. It's like, no, I've got a flight to catch. So I remember it was probably about 11.30 at night. I hadn't even packed because I hadn't time. I was just, you know, working crazy hours there as well. So I ended up... Um, taking I think about 45 minutes or some ridiculous time from Marysville to Tullamarine. What? My friend was literally at the, um, what is it, the long-term parking. Mm. He was literally waiting for me so we could park my car, I'd jump into his car and then he drove me to the terminal and um, yeah, managed to just get onto the flight, flew to Thailand. Had my interviews there and everything, and it was really interesting. It was totally different. They have all different departments, head of departments, the spa, engineering, um, stores, etc. I had an interview with everyone. Uh, and by the first day, I was supposed to be there for like three days, just having interviews. Um, at the end of the night, they ended offering uh, offering me the job. And I was just taken aback because it's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I wasn't really expecting or prepared for it because obviously they've got like more candidates and they're going through the whole process. Brand new resort, Six Senses, an amazing product, um, eco-friendly resorts. So I said, look, let me sleep on it. So I went for a walk down the beach and everything and I just thought to myself, oh, look, let's do it for 12 months and then I can always go back to Australia. Well, 
eight and a half years later, <laughs> married with two kids, I come back to Australia. So wow. yeah, yeah. That's well, I mean, clearly it was a good. It was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Oh and, no, and then and so there was that cooking European food, or was it cooking a variety? Oh, of do food? you know what? Like I remember after accepting the job, and then like getting all my finances into all my accounts um, settled and everything and putting all my stuff in storage and, and flying out there. I'm sitting at the airport going, I know shit about anything. <laughs> it's like, I'm taking on this role in a foreign country and I don't know Thailand. Yeah, I do don't really know Asian. And... I don't know, yeah, I don't know anything about that. I, I know what I've learnt, yeah. uh, which was a lot of European cuisine and, and obviously management and stuff like that, having various levels. But being transported halfway, well, a quarter of the way across the world to, to a foreign country, not speaking the language, not really knowing Thai food, because like, we think we know a lot about different cuisines in Australia, but back then, Thai food was pretty average. You mm. know, if it was spicy, you're going, oh, wow, this is delicious, this is amazing, there's a lot of chilli. Wow, did I learn a different um, level of cuisine over there. So you really have to go in there and, and know so much about everything. And I guess I was very lucky during the course of my training that I knew about pastry and entrees and mains and desserts. So, but you just watch the TV and you're just watching, you know, cuisine from the Mandarin Oriental and stuff like that. And um, all these wonderful places in Bangkok and Thailand and go, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and then I remember writing my first menu for the living room, which was sort of their, I guess, a little bit more premier restaurant because we had like three restaurants. There was a beach restaurant, the living room, then we had in villa dining. And um, I did my first sort of draft of ideas that I wanted to do. And you know in Australia, it's about like five entrees, five mains, five desserts. They looked at it and go, oh, where's the rest? <laughs> so it's just like, oh, okay. Um, so I had to develop all menus for the beach restaurant, for the living room, which ended up being like um, the a la carte side. It was more like 10 entrees, 10 mains, 10 desserts. But then you had to have a supplementary Thai menu as well, um, which I really developed as well. And that has wow. all different categories as well. So you've got appetizers, soups, uh, stir fries, uh, rice and noodle dishes, curries, desserts, etc. And like for every category, I was doing like about 10 of each different dishes. So I had to do a lot of research, which was quite exciting to oh, yeah. do yeah. all of that. And I also remember getting there and um, I guess I really didn't have a high chilli tolerance, um, coming off a lot of French cuisine and, and creams and butters and stuff like that, being quite rich and, um, you know, fat is flavour philosophy. So I got there and um, I sat in the staff canteen for about two weeks, breakfast, lunch and dinner, dripping wet, just <laughs> eating with the staff and the chilli was just like so spicy and I was like, oh, what am I doing? But it's amazing after you develop your palate, you can actually taste all the flavours through the heat and then you understand more about the balance and when I ended up doing Thai cooking classes and, and things like that, you do Genki Wan Guy, the Thai green cut chicken curry and every different element and stage that you added to it. So you do your, um, your curry, your base, where you fry off your curry, separate it so all the oil's coming out, your coconut cream. Before you started adding like palm sugar and fish sauce, there was, and lime juice, there's not much balance. It's just like this raw heat and it's like, ah, but then you add the sweetness of palm sugar and it just develops the flavor of the dish. And then you add your fish sauce, the salt comes out and then you add your um, lime juice, a little bit of sourness, and 
suddenly you have this amazing dish with all these flavors exploding in your mouth and mm. it's just like three ingredients really can change the whole whole dish so and then i guess you have to get used to some new ingredients as well and and you probably relied on your staff or suppliers for that did you oh 100 percent. yeah yeah, yeah. um I would take the knowledge of the staff that I had and blend that into the cuisine that I would be doing. So for the Thai food, I had a Thai executive chef, uh, executive sous chef, so he would be able to do all the Thai food, and um, I would like help him along with the presentations how we wanted to do it. Um, you know, flavour profile wise and stuff like that. That he was the master of that, so I would not sort of step the boundaries and go, oh, it needs more fish sauce. Although in saying that. <laughs> Um, it is different because I don't really believe one Thai chef knows all Thai cuisine because yeah. it's very regional. Okay. You have Isan, which is northeast. You have northern Thai food. You have central Bangkok food. You have southern Thai food, and it's all different. Um, just with the ingredients up north, they don't have as much seafood, so it's not very seafood um, based. It's more game. So you've got deer and you've got you know pork and things like that. Whereas down south, you're going to focus a lot more on crab, lobster, all the different fish, prawns. So it is different. Mm. And um, I did sort of suggest to my sous chef there, or my Thai sous chef, that we should look at the, some of the junior staff that are coming from the different regions yeah. to incorporate their knowledge and their palate in the food so we could make it much more broader than, say, a central Bangkok Thai chef trying to do southern Thai food and Isan food and they won't get it right because they don't know it. They know what they have been taught and what they've seen growing up. Mm. So we, you just have to find a chef that's probably not so proud that would listen because it's very classist and very structured in Asia. Mm. So you would have, um, you know, a Thai chef, a sous chef couldn't be told by a chef to party or a, an apprentice or anything like that. Oh, we do it this way. So that was the interesting thing to sort of use a bit of kitchen psychology mm. to get them all on your side so you could actually deliver the best product available. So, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. And so is it similar when you come to a place like here where you've got, well, got three cuisines going on, I suppose you could consider Sydney as well. Um, what was your experience with Mexican food or the Sri Lankan flavours? I was very fortunate because I worked in the Maldives for two and a half years. Oh. So, and, and over here in Melbourne, it's a little bit different. We don't have Kikoyoto, so it's only the Mexico and Hindu side of things that I need to focus on. But yeah. I did work in the Maldives for two and a half years um, in my stay overseas. And I worked with amazing Sri Lankan, Indian, Nepalese and Bangladeshi staff. They were all the staff in the kitchen. The Maldivians were quite clever they didn't want to work in the kitchens because all the tips would come front of house <laughs> so they knew they could get more money and do less work doing that yeah. than being in the kitchen so um i had utmost respect for the staff that we had on the resorts because you are uh, i remember staying in a uh, working in a resort called coco palm donny kalu in the bar atoll and it was probably about the size of the mcg and we would do busy day 220 people on the island and staff wise probably about 180. So not only do you have to cook for all these guests breakfast, lunch and dinner, and they can't go anywhere because there's nowhere to go to, you're totally isolated. Um, you have 180 staff on the island that you've got to cater for as well. So we had a whole different restaurant just for staff meals. Wow. But um, coming from Thailand to the Maldives and having my Sri Lankan executive sous chef going, you know, they knew I'd come from Thailand and um, they like to test you. 
Okay. Let's put it that way. So they would do their curries and stuff like that and be quite spicy. And I'd just be going, is, is that all you've got? Because <laughs> I was so used to spice by that stage. And I, I, when we went to local Thai restaurants, it'd be the same. It'd be like, not for long. I don't want Western Thai food. You give it to me like you would do normally. And uh, you'd always get that surprise reaction. And I'm like, pet mark, mark, aroi. So it'd be like very spicy, but yum. So um, yeah, so... Our main restaurant, Cowrie Restaurant, was a big buffet restaurant with live cooking stations. And we had a lot of um, Indian, Sri Lankan, Western food as well. Um, so it was just very multicultural. Uh, it was almost a little Melbourne, <laughs> just in one restaurant. And um, I was so fortunate working with these staff to experience their flavours as well and, and just using all the different spices, because it is totally different from Thailand. And, and um, Vietnam and places like that. So, uh, Indu, I have done some adjustments, but I haven't done the new menu yet. So that's quite exciting. I yeah. can't wait to get onto that one. Yeah. I've been here um, just a couple of months now. Okay. And uh, we're starting in the next couple of weeks a new menu in Mexico. And yes, that's been a little bit different because I've never really done Mexican cuisine. Ingredients very similar to Asia, there's sort of a lot of things that you would look at and you go, yes, you've got chilli, lime, so you've got that sweet, sour, um, salty, um, so it's a little bit different, but... Um, it was really fresh, when I ate yeah. here, you know, I think, I don't think I've really eaten a Mexican restaurant for um, quite a long time, and it used to be all the all the rage back in the, like the 90s and the 2000s, but it was all refried beans and... You know, tacos and just it was quite stodgy and so on. I just think when, when I came here a couple of weeks ago, it was just so delicious and I just loved that whole making the guacamole at the yeah. table and yeah. oh, that, that was the best. I mean, I don't know where your avocados from, but they're the best avocados I've ever seen. Like, they were so delicious and big and yeah. green and beautiful. Well, I think Australia is just an amazing country because it's just from temperate to tropical and it just varies all year round. So it's like you can get lamb all year round because it just sort of goes yeah. around the country. And it's a bit like that with avocados. Some like we've got Melbourne ones, uh, sorry, Victorian ones at the moment. A couple of weeks ago they were from South Australia. About a month ago they're from Queensland. Yeah, so right. it does depend on where the market is getting from at the best price as well, and where they're ripe or not. So um, yeah, it is a lot of freshness, and, and lime juice does that as well. Mm. I think it brings out a lot of um, just that tartness and then obviously the right amount of seasoning so um, I've really enjoyed it uh, so far it's been really good and um, I think working on the new menu there's been a push from me as well just to try to get it done and get it out there as quickly as possible so we can see a bit of a change and I was up until about 5.30 the other morning just to finalise it. So wow. I had bits and pieces all over the places. I had the ideas, but it just wasn't like finalised in my mind the whole menu yet and how it was structured and the dishes I wanted to put on. So yeah, I just had to push it out and I was just like in the zone and I was just doing a lot of research and I think we finished up about 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, get happy with that. Now we've got to get on to all the costings and the plate-ups yes. and the photos and the trials. So it's a bit of an arduous process but it's really worthwhile doing just to get it right and consistent and so again I guess you know where, where do you get that inspiration so um, particularly if it's a different cuisine we've talked about that a little bit but are you looking on Instagram do you have lots of cookbooks where do you get inspired cookbooks yes but 
Probably not so much these days. Back in the day, yeah, I've got a, a library of probably about 100 <laughs> different books, but to flick through pages, and I think it's not even about the recipe so much. We've sort of got the experience of knowing what we do to put together and mm. create our own recipes, but it's more a visual. Yes. Going, that looks appealing. That's something I would like to eat. So I don't really get the time to look through books anymore. No. Um, sometimes. So I've got a couple still that new ones as well, but I think... Um, the internet's just an amazing place. So yeah. if you're going taco, beef brisket taco, and then you just do a, a search of all visual images and stuff like that, it's something that appeals to me. And I'll go, I like that. That looks pretty good. And then I'll look at the flavour of it and go, it's all right, pretty basic. And then I'll see something else. And you grab a few together and you sort of combine all them to create the dish that you want to eat and the dish that you want to serve. Mm. So I think that's a big one. Um, not knowing a lot about, I suppose... Mexican cuisine and the terminology or the names of things because mm. I don't know Spanish. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. you know, having to learn all these things has been quite the challenge and I've been guilty of watching um, MasterChef Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> wow. it's, um, Why not? Yeah. I, I know it's all staged and stuff like <laughs> that, but it's, um, it's just interesting to see the different processes and you might see something like Pipian or something like that and go, oh, that's interesting. Then I will Google that and have a look and get some more, you know, images of all those particular ones and then make my own version of it uh, as authentic as possible. Mm. And, and I do try to also find sort of the ancient authentic um, dishes so I can have a look at those recipes to see how they're done and then push that forward so mm. and I think also the difference is really the ingredients in, in Australia mm. are totally different to the ingredients overseas and that's what I really noticed working in Thailand was um, the Thai restaurants here have their version mm. but like Thai basil tastes totally different in Thailand it's the soil it's the climate yeah. holy basil the same all the different products that just have a different taste mm. sweet potatoes are totally different you know you can throw sweet potatoes in Australia on the barbecue try doing that in, in Thailand I remember doing that the first time and it just all goes to mush right. so there's a different starch content and water content in product mm. and stuff like that and the soil has different flavours it's it's just amazing mm. and I just I never feel I know enough I think that's the biggest challenge I've had a very diverse cuisine uh, sorry d diverse culinary career mm. in working from fine dining to um, wedding venues and, and doing large functions and things like that to where I am now so it's very very diverse but it's like I still don't know everything and I don't think oh, I never will I'll never I never have that claim and I just don't feel like I'm that type of chef who thinks they know everything because I don't I'm always learning every day I'll step into the kitchen there's something new so which makes it quite exciting great I think that's perfect thank you no worries thank you so much for listening to this episode of conversation with a chef with Mark Kruger at Mexico you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Mexico Melbourne that's M-E-J-I-C-O Melbourne and if I were you, I would get down to Pink Alley, which is off Little Collins, and in that sort of area where friend of the podcast Next Hotel and La Madonna Restaurant is. And if you like what you heard and you want to hear about some other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can also read the chat at www.conversationwithachef.com. Do you know that I would absolutely love it if you told a friend about my chats? And of course, you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thanks so much for listening and have a great day.